ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Hello, everyone, and welcome to this, the October 30th, 2022 episode of the Boxing Source radio show. I am your host, James Bell, the leader of the Boxing Source. Of course, we have the website, theboxingsource.net. You could check out, you know, videos from our YouTube channel, The Boxing Source. And also we have links there where you can check out the rankings for each division in the WBC, WBA, IBF, WBO, and also, we have the Boxing Source Pound for Pound Rankings. That's right, the Boxing Source Pound for Pound Rankings. So be sure to check that out. And, of course, we have our social media outlets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And, yeah, of course, like I said, the YouTube channel. So, uh, you know, you be sure to uh, definitely uh, check that out. And quick shout out to uh, Rev Masters that uh, is affiliate of Bet.us. Uh, uh, that uh, is a sponsor of sorts uh, for the boxing source. Uh, so we're going to get into a number of things here in this uh, particular podcast. Uh, we did have a lot of action that took place on Saturday. Uh, you know, we had uh, some action that did take place over at the Hulu Theater at Madison Square Garden. Uh, you know, we also had uh, some action there over in the California area, you know, so we're definitely going to be uh, going through all of that uh, here in this particular episode. And, uh, you know, we may or may not uh, have uh, more in reference to the uh, supposed uh, fallout that has happened over the past 10 days or so as we're, you know, getting more news and notes and information that's coming in reference to uh, what could potentially happen on uh, December 10th, uh, but we also may have some news in reference to a unified champion, uh, as uh, he did uh, make a statement on social media earlier today, so we will get into that. But first, we will start off with uh, what happened over at the theater at Madison Square Garden. There was a number of fights there on that particular uh, fight card, including uh, one uh, fighter that was a uh, guest uh, that we've had on the Boxing Source radio show. Plus, we've had multiple interviews uh, with this young fighter, uh, particularly, um, you know, days ago, um, undefeated fighter uh, Haven Brady Jr., who actually opened the telecast on ESPN Plus against Eric Mondragon. Uh, you know, had his uh, first uh, fight, you know, of sorts under the tutelage of Coach Bozy Ennis uh, and Coach Lawrence Smalls 
uh, over at Bosley's Dungeon in Philadelphia. That's where uh, Haven Brady Jr. had the majority of his training for this particular fight and went up there and had Coach Bosley Ennis as the head trainer. And you had Coach uh, Smalls there as the chief second and uh, Jacob Stitz Duran uh, was there as his cut man. Uh, but you know, he was able to, you know, score a decision victory over Eric Mondragon. Uh, you know, had a good little start uh, there, was quick, you know, quick to uh, attack Eric Mondragon in those first couple of rounds, uh, was coming off uh, some combinations there as well. Uh, but, you know, there was a couple of times where, you know, he was getting caught with counters, and that was the plan for Eric Mondragon in this particular fight was to catch uh, Haven Brady Jr. there, uh, you know, with uh, counter shots. And he was successful a few times uh, there in that particular bout. Uh, but, you know, pretty much around that fifth round or so, you know, we headed to the uh, point where uh, Haven Brady Jr. Uh, had stepped it up and pretty much like showed that he was like in a different class uh, there than Eric Mondragon. And uh, he scored a unanimous decision victory, as I said, uh, there for him to stay undefeated. He is now 8-0 uh, there. And this was, you know, at the 130-pound uh, division of sorts uh, there. So did have that. Uh, of course, you also had other undefeated fighters on uh, showcase there. Tiger Johnson uh, was um, fighting on that card against Esteban Garcia, was able to score a unanimous decision there. Uh, Abdullah Mason scored a TKO victory over Angel Barrera. Troy Isley scored a unanimous decision victory over Quincy Lavalle, which is a pretty good, uh, you know, test of source uh, there against Lavalle, a very tough opponent uh, there. You also had Duke Reagan over Luis LeBron uh, there. Uh, and you also had Nico Ali Walsh uh, getting a unanimous decision victory over uh, Billy Wagner, where he bloodied up Billy Wagner pretty early, but he was also getting caught a few times by Billy Wagner over the course of that fight. Um, and in the uh, main part of that telecast uh, there where uh, you had three fights, in the first fight you had Richard Torres Jr. Uh, going up against Ahmed Hefni uh, there with Richard Torres Jr. scoring the TKO victory. Um, there was in, in a pretty sloppy uh, fight for as long as it lasted. Uh, you know, also with the referee getting a little bit involved in that particular fight, but uh, still didn't stop Richard Torres uh, from, you know, getting the TKO victory there. And also, uh, Rabisi Ramirez scoring a ninth round TKO victory over Jose Matias Romero, um, you know, where you know, uh, he puts himself in position to potentially fight for the WBO featherweight title uh, there as he, you know, uh, could be in that particular spot, uh, I would say, within, what, uh, by February or March, uh, so to speak, uh, there, you know, um, where uh, it could be a pretty good there for him. I mean, Rubisi Ramirez kind of, was looking for, you know, I would say a uh, quick, quick knockout, an emphatic knockout victory, uh, pretty similar to, you know, what he had in his last bout uh, where he scored an emphatic knockout victory over Abraham Nova. 
uh, earlier this year, and it looked like he was trying to do the same thing here against Jose Matias Romero, but uh, Romero wasn't really going for all of that. Um, so uh, in, in a sense, you have the instance where um, he just had to, you know, kind of like calm down a little bit, make some adjustments, and then once he did that there in the ninth round, he ended up with the flurry on Jose Romero in order to score uh, that knockout victory. So, uh, you know, with him, uh, he he's going to uh, see what happens with the WBO featherweight championship, uh, you know, as uh, we see how that is going to uh, turn out or shape up or, you know, anything like that. So uh, we'll have to see how that uh, goes. And then once that is uh, sorted out, then we'll see if, you know, Ravisi Ramirez is going to, you know, fight for that WBO featherweight championship. And uh, going into that main event, you had Vasil Lomachenko against Jermaine Ortiz with, you know, Vasil Lomachenko uh, coming in there with the first uh, fight that uh, he had this year. Uh, going up against Jermaine Ortiz. Vasil Matenko coming in there with a record of 16 wins and two losses going up against Jermaine Ortiz, who had a record of 16 wins, zero losses, and one draw. And, you know, a lot of um, interest was in this particular bout because, you know, there were a number of people that felt like uh, the uh, everything was kind of like, Canceled in for Vasil Lomachenko uh, to have this win and then eventually could uh, face Devin Haney for uh, the undisputed lightweight titles. Uh, but at the uh, beginning of this fight, you pretty much seen Jermaine Ortiz uh, kind of like show uh, that he has some skills, uh, that, you know, he was a very good uh, fighter in this case. You know, he looked like he was a bigger man uh, there against Vasil Lomachenko and was, you know, very aggressive uh, there, you know, with his um, attack. Uh, throwing combinations, double jab, right hand, um, uh, or the jab and right hand, and that you kind of like seeing Vasil Lomachenko being Vasil Lomachenko um, in a lot of his matches where he has a slow start. Uh, he tries to know, figure out what his opponent is doing and then makes adjustments later on in the fight. Um, and it almost looked like that was the same case here. Um, Jermaine Ortiz having the uh, good start uh, there against Vasil Lomachenko, winning a, first, you know, a few of those rounds, a few of those uh, early rounds there against Vasil Lomachenko before Vasil Lomachenko was uh, getting himself back into it. And kind of like, you know, landing more shots over the course of the fight. Uh, but, you know, for me, I didn't really see that until um, pretty much like the fifth round or so. Um, for those first, you know, four rounds, you know, I pretty much like last scored it was like round three rounds to one uh, for Jermaine Ortiz. Uh, but then you had uh, Vasil Lomachenko uh, exerting more energy uh, there in the fight uh, starting from the fifth round on. And I think that was very key there because you had Jermaine Ortiz who, you know, didn't have much experience at all in uh, a fight of this magnitude, you know. Um, 
And this was basically his uh, first uh, occasion uh, there, you know, where he had his first 12 round bout. Now, he did defeat a former world champion uh, in Jamel Herring in his previous bout, uh, but that was a 10 round bout. This one was a 12 round bout, first time that he uh, was there uh, in a 12 round bout or a bout that was scheduled for 12 rounds. Uh, and that to me was uh, very key in this particular instance because you saw, you know, cases where uh, Ortiz was, you know, tired, uh, you know, uh, where he didn't really exert as much energy as he could have uh, in this particular bout. Um, and I think that was a huge factor uh, in the results of this bout. Uh, but, you know, for me, uh, there was one thing that kind of like stood out over the course of this bout that um, was a little bit uh, successful for Jermaine Ortiz. After you know, around the fourth, I mean, fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds uh, there where it seemed like Vasyl Lomachenko was getting back into the fight, Jermaine Ortiz kind of switched things up a little bit and fought as a southpaw. And that was one of the things that was mentioned over the course of the fight was that, yeah, while Jermaine Ortiz was at one point a sparring partner for Vasyl Lomachenko, you know, while uh, Vasyl Lomachenko was preparing for Richard Comey for that fight, Jermaine Ortiz mentioned that one thing that he never did over the course of that you know, training session was that he didn't switch over to softball. Well, he didn't really have to because Comey is in the softball. But Ortiz switching over to softball really kind of threw off the timing of Vasil Lomachenko, you know. And I thought, you know, with him doing that, even though he might not have been all too comfortable fighting as a softball, sometimes doing that is your best defense against a southpaw, you know. And when he was doing that, there were some times that he was successful uh, there, but from a defensive standpoint, it was a little bit better off for him because you couldn't really have Vasilomachenko do the things that he usually does uh, with his feints, foot feints, uh, moving side to side, you know, throwing, you know, throwing punches and then moving or shifting off to the right, so to speak. Uh, so, you know, Jermaine Ortiz by switching over to softball kind of like nullified most of that. Uh, but then all of a sudden he switched back to orthodox. And while they were switching back to orthodox, Vasil Lomachenko was able to, you know, do more of the things that he usually does against orthodox fighters. And with that being said, he kind of like got himself back into the fight. Uh, when it was like around round nine, round ten, round eleven, was it the point where Vasil Lomachenko was doing so much that he kind of like overwhelmed Jermaine Ortiz? Not really, but he kind of did enough to get most of those rounds in the in the tail end of the fight, you know. Um, and in round twelve, you know, I kind of like seen like in rounds eleven, rounds twelve. Uh, where you could have like said, hey, Jermaine Ortiz, this is your moment. This is where you could really kind of like take over and say, hey, I'm here at this particular position. 
the fight is close at this point. Live, or at least I thought it was close at that point. Uh, you go ahead. You assert yourself in these last couple of rounds, and you could take this fight. You know, you could pretty much take this fight. Um, and, well, the energy just wasn't quite there. Um, and for me, I really didn't see it uh, that much from Vasil Lomachenko either, where he could have, you know, overwhelmed uh, his opponent. Uh, I, I, I compare this particular bout to Vasil Lomachenko's uh, fight with um, Teofimo Lopez, where, you know, Teofimo Lopez had a great start. Vasil Lomachenko got himself back into it. And then there was like one point where Vasil Lomachenko almost seemed like he was going to take over the bout. And then Teofimo Lopez took it uh, in that 12th round. You know, here in this particular bout, you didn't really get that much. You didn't get that much energy there from Jermaine Ortiz. And, well, it went through those full 12 rounds. Now, me personally, I had the fight as a draw because I really didn't see either fighter take seven rounds. Just didn't. I'm just, you know, being 100. I didn't see, you know, either fighter taking seven rounds. Fight went to the scorecards. Uh, you had John McKay scored about 115-113. You had Mark Constantino scored about 116-112. You had Frank Lombardi scored about 117-111. Unanimous decision for Vasil Machenko. That is the 17th win in his professional career. So, what you had was you had one judge that gave Vasilomachenko seven rounds. You had one judge that gave Vasilomachenko eight rounds. And then you had one judge give Vasilomachenko nine rounds. Now, you gave him seven rounds? Okay. Okay. Um, you give him eight rounds? No. But you give him nine rounds? Come on, man. Come on. After, after that first half of the fight, you mean to tell me that you gave Valsalomachenko pretty much like every round? Um, no, I have not seen the official scorecards uh, for this bout. Um, I really don't see why that would be the case. Um, look like from what I've heard, that a number of judges uh, gave round six to Vasil Machenko. Um, and that, uh, and I know that, you know, that one was clearly, you know, not a Vasil Machenko round. Um, but, you know, like I said, you, you have um, Lomachenko uh, get the win. You have him. Uh, as uh, someone that is, you know, there is highly ranked uh, in the lightweight rankings. Uh, of course, after the fight, you had the undisputed lightweight champion, Devin Haney, uh, step into the ring. You know, of course, Devin Haney has had those two wins over George Cambosis Jr. Um, and he looks like he could be uh, the next opponent for Vasil Machenko. Um, Haney looks like he is ready, ready for that fight against Vasilomachenko. Uh, Vasilomachenko uh, did kind of like say that he needs more time of sorts. 
you know, um, before maybe that fight could take place. I'm saying here, some they should go ahead and try to make that fight by March or April of 2023. Um, and I would highly favor Devin Haney to win that particular bout. Um, you know, Boston Lomachenko, you know, at this point, I don't think that he is, you know, what, you know, of course he's not what he's um, been in the past. Um, and think about it is, is that, you know, there is something that stands out with Vasilomachenko. He looks like he has issues with the number of uh, fighters that have some type of, you know, youth or athletic ability of sorts, you know, um, that could move around the ring very well, that, you know, uh, kind of judge their uh, reach fairly well and can move their feet well. Devin Haney does all that. And he's going to have a significant, well, I mean, yeah, he'll have a height advantage. He'll have a reach advantage, but he'll have an athletic advantage as well to where I don't think that Basil will be able to get away with a number of things that he does over the majority of his opponents against Devin Haney. So uh, we'll see how that turns out, you know, with um, Basil Machenko and Devin Haney. Uh, they're in the lightweight division. Yeah, I know that there have been some talks about potentially having, uh, you know, Gavante Davis <laughs> as a potential fighter for Basil Macheco, but that's not going to happen. I want to get in a guest uh, here to uh, check in. Uh, has been a guest of the Boxing Source radio show in the past. It's been a while since he has uh, been on the show. That's right, is Mr. Who you pick? World ranked in the building, checking in. What's going on? What's up, sir? What's going on? What's going on, my guy? Nothing too much. So, I've been, uh, I've been on here previously, you know, to gloat about uh, Mr. Lomachenko and his resume previously, and and how. Um, he dismantled, you know, Rigo Dial when everybody thought, you know, Rigo had a legit chance. And, you know, uh, some of those, you know, stages of those fights. So now I have to come back on since I gloated then, I have to come back and humble myself because um, Lomachenko is no longer the fighter that I thought he was. At once upon a time. Now, I would not say that he's a terrible fighter. I would not say that um, um, he is no longer a skillful fighter, but he's no longer the fighter he once was. So I, I'm not. I don't want to diminish what he has done um, previously because I think a lot of people think he hasn't really done anything, and I think that's that's a discredit to him. Um, as a totality of his career, but I do want to come on here and kind of humble myself because of the simple fact of if he's what I've considered him to be over these past couple of years, even with the Tia Fimo setback, he should have handled um Ortiz as someone who's a top tier fighter. So, because he didn't, and I can make a thousand excuses of why he didn't do it, the matter the fact of the matter is, he didn't do it. 
He 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 wasn't capable of doing it. He uh escaped in this fight. And yeah, that's pretty much you know what I wanted to say about you know Lomachenko as a whole, in my opinion of him previously and now. I do not want to I'm not backwalking my assessment of him because I still think he's a great fighter. I still think he's a Hall of Fame fighter. Um, but he's no longer that fighter. And I know some people probably think he's never he never was that fighter. And I would disagree on that ledge with anybody. But he is not the pound for pound guy that he once was. Yeah, I mean, I, I really don't think that um he has that particular um high level that he's had in the past. Um, that, you know, a few things that, you know, he was able to do in, uh, you know, multiple divisions in the featherweight division and the super featherweight division and, you know, to an extent, the lightweight division um, that he's, you know, not quite able to do anymore. Um, And, you know, at this point, we just have to see, like, how he's going to be able to adjust uh, here in his professional career. Uh, because, you know, when he goes up against guys that are, you know, in the lightweight division, but, you know, seem to be bigger and more athletic than he is, uh, you know, he has issues. Um, you know, like I said, he had issues against Teofimo Lopez. Um, you know, to a certain extent, he did have issues in this fight against Jermaine Ortiz. It was just that Jermaine Ortiz didn't have what was uh, needed in order to kind of like take over uh, the tail end of the fight. And, you know, as mentioned, uh, with this being like his first uh, go around in a 12 round bout, uh, that kind of like was shown when he had um, times where he was fatigued uh, in this bout. Uh, So, you know, for me, I kind of like see that, you know, coming from um, Vasil Machenko, but also, uh, on Jermaine Ortiz's part, um, you know, while he did have a, a very good start in this instance, I didn't really see something from Jermaine Ortiz that kind of like said Vasil Lomachenko would be reluctant to do uh, what he does on offense. Um, with with someone like a Teofimo Lopez, Teofimo Lopez has something that makes, you know, his opponents respect him in a sense. But here with Jermaine Ortiz, you really didn't see that. And so that kind of like got Vasilomachenko to get himself back into the fight, you know, uh, from the fourth round uh, on, you know. So, you know, with that being said, yeah, he he was able to, you know, get back into the fight. I kind of like felt like it was a draw of sorts because there, you know, while there were some, you know, rounds that Vasilomachenko won, there were also a number of rounds that, you know, Jermaine Ortiz won, and I just really didn't see, like, over the course of, you know, the fight in general where, uh, you know, either fighter uh, won seven rounds. I just had it six to six. The only thing was it was just that uh, in the, like, those last rounds, those championship rounds, Jermaine Ortiz was, you know, tremendously fatigued to the point where he just couldn't um, really – take control of that belt you know and so that 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 was kind of like the result for me it was just that i didn't see where you know as one judge scored it 
with eight rounds to four in favor of Lomachenko, and another judge scored it about in favor of Lomachenko, nine rounds to three. I'm like, well, I didn't see anywhere where it could have been nine rounds in favor of Vas Lomachenko in this bout. So I'm always, I'm always looking at um, the business side of the sport. So during the whole fight, and this fight was was similar in a way to the Tiafimo fight because Tiafimo started so well, and he really basically swept like the first six six rounds, five or six rounds of the, of the Lomachenko fight. Lomachenko then came on uh, later on in the fight, but in the 11th and 12th rounds of those fights, of the Tiafimo fight, he had that extra gear to not allow the fight be taken back, which Ortiz did not have. And uh, there was a sense of urgency in the Tiafimo fight later in the fight, knowing the situation. I tell a lot of people in terms of, and I never wavered, even when Ortiz was up, that unless he was stopping Loma, which he had no shot of doing, in my opinion, and Loma had no shot of stopping him, that he wasn't going to get the cards. I just mm -hmm. I didn't see uh, any way, even when he was up. And he was up. There was a point in this fight where he was up. And it was, I don't want to say pretty convincing, but he was up and he, he was clearly winning the fight. Yeah. But I just knew that if if Lomachenko can be somewhat competitive in the late rounds, which he 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 did in the Tiafimo fight, but Tiafimo and he stepped up in the later fight to make sure that 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 fight didn't get taken away from him, and Ortiz didn't. Right. Now, people say that it, it it's um, Ortiz's opportunity. He didn't, you know, he's new to the stage. Well, we can say the same thing about Tiafimo at that time. Because he didn't have a a, a a a a big fight prior to that, really, and but he had that sense of urgency. And I don't know if it's a stamina thing. I don't know if it's a training thing. I don't know if it's a mentality thing that he was able to separate himself from Lomachenko in those last couple of rounds, and Ortiz wasn't able to. And my question to you is, what do you think the difference was? Because in experience, in terms of world level fights. Mm -hmm. Neither him or Tiafimo really didn't have those that level of, of fights prior to the Lomachenko fight. Well, to me, I think it was that going into those bouts, Tiafimo Lopez was extremely confident in, and believed, like, without a shadow of a doubt, that he was better than Bas Lomachenko. And that he had been looking forward to that bout against Lomachenko for a long time. And that, you know, he kind of like used that as part partially his motivation. And, you know, even like going right right before the fight when they like had their little interview of sorts uh, there with Joe Tessator, whoever it was. And Teofimo Lopez pretty much said like, look, I'm going to show y'all that from a skill standpoint, I'm better than Vasil Lomachenko. He already felt that he had the power to, you know, get Vasil Lomachenko's respect. But he said that he was going to be skillfully better than Vasil Lomachenko in that fight. And in, in those first few rounds, you kind of like seen that from Teofimo Lopez. So the amount of confidence that Teofimo Lopez had going into that bout against Lomachenko was 
very key in that bout. You know, uh, for me, Jermaine Ortiz, you know, even though he was undefeated, uh, you know, he had his, you know, key win over uh, Jamel Herring earlier in the year. Um, I, I didn't really see that level of confidence uh, from Jermaine Ortiz, you know. And, you know, with that being said, that's, that's kind of like half the battle in, in most of these cases in these fights is that you have to be like 155.5% confident that you're going to defeat your opponent. And even with someone that the caliber of Basil Machenko that gets all of this praise, all of this, you know, publicity and everything like that, you got to be like saying, hey, man, I'm bigger than this guy. I'm skilled myself. You know, I can do things here and there. I can beat this guy. And, you know, for those first few rounds, you kind of like seen the skill level of Jermaine Ortiz to where he was getting with Vasil Lomachenko. And I think that for for some reason, it almost seemed like it was a surprise to some folks. Maybe it was a surprise for Jermaine Ortiz. But, you know, to kind of like have something like that happen, and you don't really build off that, then you you you're gonna you know run into those issues where you have someone like Vasilomachenko come back, and you know also you know having that instance of not being used to fighting for twelve rounds in a twelve round bout, that is a key factor there as well. And I think that you know harmed Jermaine Ortiz in this instance. Yes, the you know his trainer kind of like you know, emphasize to him in those 10th, 11th, and 12th rounds, like, this is your moment. This is your time to shine. This is where, you know, you can take over and, you know, take this fight from Vasil Lomachenko. But, you know, from that live, you really didn't see that, you know, coming from Jermaine Ortiz. And like, like I was saying earlier, I don't know what happened when he didn't switch back over to Southpaw when you had him going to Orthodox and Vasil Lomachenko was getting back in their fight. Just switch back to Orthodox, see what Vasil Lomachenko does, and see if he still has issues trying to get to you or trying to, you know, get off his offense while you are at a southpaw. And he never switched back to southpaw. And I think that was also a key factor in how, you know, that bout turned out, you know. So, I mean, yeah, what you got? I, I don't want to make any excuses for, for Lomachenko, but I, I want to ask this question. The result, because you said something uh, about Ortiz and people not expecting uh, him to be competitive. And and I would say I fall under, I don't want to say I didn't think he was going to be competitive, uh, but I fall under the assumption that it's more of the me overrating Lomachenko as opposed to me underrating Ortiz. Now, in your opinion, from what you saw last night, is it is it from when you said that um, Ortiz, a lot of people didn't see this from Ortiz, do you believe the fight and the way it played out last night, is it more of a overrating of Lomachenko or underrating of Ortiz and what he brought into the table? Ooh, um... Going for me personally or or in general? Uh, both. Okay. Uh, for me personally, um, it was more of a underrating of Ortiz. Um, because for me, Vasilomachenko is good up to a certain point. 
This is one thing that I've said for a while in reference to Vashlomachenko is that at lightweight, he's not the guy that he was in those lower weights. And, it, and to me, it's by considerable margin because he's dealing with guys that are, you know, much bigger than him uh, that are coming down in weight to make 135 pounds, where he is a guy that's been used to making 126, 130, and, and that type of thing and fighting those guys that are at 126 and 130. So he's going up against guys that, you know, have a little bit of a bigger punch, a little bit of a bigger pop and are sizably bigger than him, you know. And so, you know, with that being said, I mean, I, I felt like uh, once he got to uh, someone that had like that right combination of, uh, you know, speed, power, movement and really didn't care about the accolades of Vasilomachenko that he was going to get got it got and that particular moment was Teofimo Lopez that's why I was like very confident that Teofimo Lopez was going to get that win and why you know from a you know uh betting odds standpoint you pretty much put down on you know Teofimo Lopez getting the win and you got like what for me it was 11 to 1 odds for that decision win you know uh so you know with that being said yeah you have Vasilomachenko coming back. He did, you know, kind of like face, uh, you know, uh, Nakatani and Richard Comey. And, you know, Nakatani was able to, you know, pretty much stop. Richard Comey, he he knocked down Richard Comey, but he wasn't able to finish off Richard Comey. And for me, I was like, well, if you don't have that combination of, you know, power in – pretty much try to overwhelm your opponent to where you could have had that about eventually stopped. Um, then, yeah, I really don't feel like he can kind of like get at those guys that are younger and more athletic in a sense to, you know, pretty much uh, get a win over those guys. And so with Jermaine Ortiz, I kind of like felt like, yeah, I haven't really seen much of him, but he's young. He's skillful enough and talented to where he could pretty much hang with Vasilomachenko. It's just that he doesn't have the experience level of Vasilomachenko. Now, you make a good point on the – and this is why I want to put it in perspective of where Lomachenko is in terms of – this is not a guy, let's say, like Triple G, who is who was dominating a specific division – for a long amount of time, not really challenging himself. And a lot of people are, are looking at the aspect of whatever their dislike for Loma is or whatever the case may be, there's not a consideration is that he's a not he's not a natural lightweight. Now, this is not an excuse for him losing to Tiafimo uh, or ba basically drawing or losing or whatever with Ortiz. But it's not people are not taking consideration that he's not a natural lightweight. And like you said, he are fight, fighting guys that are that is, that is boiling down from the weight. Not only that, but there's a question of, uh, and this is, and somebody posted something on Twitter that I agree with, and it was the statement of, I'd rather for Ortiz to get the decision because whoever actually beats Loma will not get the respect that they deserve for beating him because there's going to be this excuse or that he's old that he's 
uh, not at his best weight, whatever the case is. And I agree with that. I'd rather for Ortiz to get the decision because Haney, Haney gets this win. He's not going to get full credit for this win. We know it. Everybody out here know it. And it's not, and I, and I hate that, that, that old moving of the guard where it's too late to give these guys full credit for, for beating really good guys who were in their prime. And, um, Haney and Stevenson and, and Tank, whoever gets that name on it, most likely Haney, but whoever gets it, I feel like they should get more credit for it. So in a way, when people discredit Loma, at the end of the day, when Haney or whoever beats him, Loma's going to be that first name that you guys bring up that that Haney beat or Tank beat or whoever beat. So we got to put it in perspective that as much as some people don't like Lomachenko, when these guys get that name on their resume, you are going to name that person and say Lomachenko, he beat Lomachenko. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing about it is that um, you really don't get uh, that particular um, instance where um, a fighter that could face, uh, you know, a Bas Lomachenko, and gets a you know clean win over Vasilomachenko, um, you know, would get the full credit. You know what I mean? Uh, so the thing about it is, is like Devin Haney, who I highly favor to beat Vasilomachenko uh, once that fight does happen, uh, that he won't necessarily get his full credit. The thing about it is, is that with Devin Haney and Vasilomachenko, that particular fight you know, could have happened or should have happened, you know, a couple of years ago. You know, we had the whole situation with Lomachenko when he eventually acquired the WBC lightweight title and that Devin Haney was the mandatory challenger that Bas Lomachenko eventually was named the franchise champion at lightweight. So he didn't have to or be obligated to fight uh, Devin Haney. And so... You had that whole situation go on, and then now you had, you know, fast forward to pretty much this year uh, where Devin Haney got himself in position to fight uh, for the undisputed lightweight championships against George Cambosas. Won the first bout, then had the second bout where, you know, a lot of people felt like he drained himself to make 135. Um, but still had a more, you know, emphatic victory over George Cambosas Jr. That we'll have to see how he kind of like approaches uh, this uh, this thing for next year, 2023. Uh, he did step into the ring uh, there after Vasil Machenko got the decision win and said that he is, you know, extremely open to facing Lomachenko for those undisputed lightweight titles. And you know, Lomachenko was like saying, "Hey, I mean, I maybe I need more time. I don't know." So. I also have to see how that goes. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, with that being said, uh, Lomachenko moves forward, uh, and we'll see how he does. For Jermaine Ortiz, he definitely made a good account of himself there in this particular bout. And, you know, really would like to see what happens next for Jermaine Ortiz uh, there in the lightweight division if he, you know, plans to say a lightweight. Um, there could be a number of fights uh, that are out there for him uh, there in that particular division. Uh, you got some on that? 
Yeah, and I and I don't want to discredit his performance, but from what I saw yesterday, I don't. I personally don't rate him. I don't think he's he's a contender or someone that will be a threat to the division. I think he's what I thought he was yesterday. A, 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 a considerable. Now he has some type of name. He's not going to ever be a put as an A side. So therefore, he's going to always be in competitive matches. And therefore, mm -hmm. there's always going to be a chance, you know, 50 right. 50. He's going to be in 50 right. 55. Uh, and that's generally when you're when you're not the A side, and you're not getting easy fights. There's going to be some losses that come. So I don't personally don't see him uh, as a threat to the division or even a contender. Really, I do want to see him again because I, I do think he deserves an opportunity to prove me wrong and to better his status. Because mm -hmm. he earned it last night. So I don't have a problem with him getting another shot. But I don't see him. Like, I can't see him beating Ali Rivera, for real. I can't see him beating uh, somebody you might have talked about or you might talk about later who was on the uh, other card. Um, I can't, his name, the guy that beat Jojo Diaz. Personally, I can't see him beating those guys. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, he's a good TV fighter. He showed... He showed out yesterday, and he deserves an opportunity. I just don't really rate him personally. Right, like I mean, you have uh, guys that are out there. Like you'll have uh, contenders in George Cambosis Jr. Um, yeah, we'll say like uh, you know William Zapata, who we'll talk about uh, later on down the line. Um, Michelle Rivera, uh, you know, or like in in this one was a, a, a fighter that we thought that Jermaine Ortiz could have fought instead of Vasil Lomachenko, and that's Jeremiah Nakabdila, you know, who, you know, scored a good win in his uh, last bout. Uh, so you have someone like Jeremiah Nakabdila, um, like Isak Cruz Gonzalez. Yeah, you might not be able to face someone like a, uh, Isak Cruz Gonzalez. Uh, but also, I think uh, someone that's coming up uh, there in uh, top rank is Raymond Murataya. Uh, that is also uh, there in the lightweight division. That could be another uh, opponent of sorts. Uh, therefore, Jermaine Ortiz. So, um, and I'm not, you know, really mentioning uh, the guy that you know is now at 135 pounds, the former unified champion at 130, Shakur Stevenson. Uh, but that could be another guy that they could put as a B side to, you know, facing Shakur Stevenson. They might, you know, have like another fight for Shakur uh, over in Newark against someone like Jermaine Ortiz. But, I mean, who, who knows how that would, you know, kind of like uh, sort itself out uh, there for that. You know what I mean? Um, but that's kind of like how that, uh, you know, that lightweight division uh, shapes itself out. You know, like I said, with Devin Haney having all of the belts, um, Vasil Machango looking like he's uh, penciled in as the next opponent for Devin Haney. Um, and with, you know, Jermaine Ortiz, you know, with his first professional loss, we got to see, like, what else is out there uh, for him uh, in the lightweight division. Now, going into that, um, you know, other fight card that was over in California uh, with that main event of William Zapata versus Joseph Jojo Diaz, um, that one was uh, one where, you know, I kind of like felt like uh, you had Zapata uh, there as, you know, an established uh, fighter there in the division. Of course, Jojo Diaz had been a contender at the featherweight division, world champion at super featherweight uh, campaigning 
uh, there in the lightweight division where, you know, he did face Devin Haney at one point and lost to Devin Haney. Um, and, you know, really didn't uh, favor uh, Jojo Diaz in this uh, particular bout. And I thought that Williams, the painter, would eventually overwhelm and uh, get the win. Uh, but it ended up being a little bit of a, you know, better uh, fight uh, than I expected uh, there for this one. You know, and uh, for a good number of those rounds, uh, you had some good, you know, inside uh, action uh, there in close quarters between uh, these guys. Uh, but it was more about Zepeda having the upper hand in a lot of those exchanges. Um, and that, you know, uh, Zepeda was just, you know, getting the better of him, you know, early and often. Uh, you know, the Jojo Diaz got cut uh, in the uh, fourth round and then also uh, later on in the um, seventh round. Uh, but, you know, he was still in there tough uh, there against William Zepeda, but it was still a unanimous decision victory for Zepeda with Zepeda getting like 11 rounds in two of those scorecards and 10 rounds in one scorecard. Uh, for Zepeda to stay undefeated there at 27-0. And it's just uh, the thing about it is with Zepeda, it's more of a matter of, you know, where he's at in that you can't really place him, you know, anywhere to kind of like say, hey, he could eventually, you know, contend for a world title uh, there in the lightweight division. Uh, but, you know, you do have a couple of other guys uh, they're under Golden Boy Promotions, but one of them is still in a little bit of a discussion point uh, to see if he can uh, face Gravante Tank Davis. But that's a whole nother story there. Uh, but, you know, going to the whole thing with, um, you know, William Zepeda and Jojo Diaz in that main event there in California, their world rank. Yeah, I didn't see the fight per se, uh, so I can't speak on the actual action of the fight. Uh, but I am curious how or where they're going to put Zapata going forward because, I, like you said, there's a logical choice there if another fight doesn't get made. But if that, you know, if that option isn't there, how do they keep him active but also in an in a ascending form as a – as opposed to being stagnant because golden boy doesn't have a, you know, a lot of options per se uh, in terms of the lightweights. So I'm curious to see how they, how they move him going forward and try to have them, like you said, try to, how does he get a title shot or, you know, how does he ascend his career? Because right now I'm not sure how he gets in to the top of the, the food chain. So, um, Curious to see how they how they move him and and uh, what's the next step for him. Yeah, that's the thing that's uh, curious. I mean, uh, Jojo Diaz was there as like a contender of sorts in lightweight division, um, but you wouldn't necessarily put him over Zapata, you know, going into this fight. And we, you know, we kind of like clearly seen that Zapata was, you know, a. a, a a lot better, to, at least to me, uh, than uh, Jojo Diaz in this case. Um, and so now it's like, uh, what's next out there, you know, for William Zapata? Like, wh what could you potentially put him in there against if you can't 
you know, fit him in there against like a Ryan Garcia. Um, like, would you be able to like make a deal with him to fight Zara Abdullayev? Um, or, you know, someone, I don't know, like a Tisrael Corrales or something. Like, I, I really don't know. There really isn't that many other options out there uh, for Williams to pay to, to, you know, kind of like say, hey, is he there as like a potential world title contender? Um, do you say like, okay, um, what other position could he be put in? You know, you hadn't uh, seen like someone like a Golden Boy Promotions really try to work with other promotional organizations to try to make uh, cross promotional fights like that. Uh, everything is pretty much like in house with Golden Boy Promotions. But now when you have someone like a William Zabeda where he's there, he's built up his record, he's undefeated, he, you know, kind of like has proven himself to be a very good contender there in the lightweight division. But now it almost seems like you're running out of opponents for him. So now what are you going to do? Um, I mean, are you going to, like, say, put him on ice to see if he could eventually, you know, contend for the world title? Who knows? Uh, but, you know, outside of that, you really don't have uh, that much out there for William Zapata uh, there in the lightweight division. I mean, we kind of, like, named some of those, you know, uh, fighters that are there lightweight, like, you know, Michelle Ali Rivera, uh, Abdullayev, uh, maybe Ivan Mendy, I don't know, Dennis Branchik, uh, maybe Angel Fierro. I mean, I'm just naming guys that are, you know, kind of like positioned in different spots in the uh, sanctioning bodies rankings or the top top 15 rankings in these sanctioning bodies that, you know, someone like a William Cepeda could potentially face while, you know, that whole lightweight title situation gets sorted out, which will be like what? locked up for another, you know, four or six months at, at, at minimum. So you've had, you know, the thing where the all the lightweight titles have basically been on lock since, what, like, you know, April, you know, April, May of this year or so, you know, up until now. So it's like you got to decide, okay, what what's there or what's, uh, you know, remaining uh, for these lightweight contenders to do. But, you know, for me, it's more of like, hey, if you can't really find uh, an opponent for someone like a William Zapata, then, I mean, what, what else can you do, you know? Yeah, I think it's a possible. I, I would even consider the, the option of moving to 140. That might be an option as well. Just looking at, you know, not having many options at lightweight. I can see that being an option as well. Uh, but, yeah, like you said, man, I, I don't know what they do if they're, they – I would have thought that they they made they would have made the Garcia fight maybe instead of the Fortuna fight. But I don't know. Um, the Fer Ferrero fight that you mentioned, he just fought recently, so that, that might make sense just as a, you know, as, a, as an option. Uh, but, yeah, they don't really do business – with other with other sides so we'll see yeah that's the thing about it they really don't do business with these uh your know, other uh promotional organizations so uh having someone like Zapata out there that could be uh pretty much stuck at 135 pounds looking for an opponent 
uh, we'll have to see like how that goes here in the next uh, four months or so. I mean, you want to see about keeping someone like him active out there, but if you don't have the opponents available for him, then it's almost like, you know, what can you do? Um, if he does like move up to 140, I don't know, maybe you'll have more options there at 140, maybe not. You know, it just depends on uh, how they kind of, you know, sort that self out um, when it comes to um, William Zapata. But, you know, I, I think that he could be someone that is a uh, very viable contender there in the lightweight division. It's just the uh, issue of trying to see what happens uh, with the lightweight title situation. If you have them all locked down with uh, Devin Haney eventually fighting Vasil Machenko next year, then, you know, you're going to have to see what happens with the rest of these contenders uh, out there, 135 pounds. Now, uh, you did also have, like, in that fight card on the co-feature about Alexis Rocha uh, there against Jesus Campos with Alexis Rocha uh, getting the win there, unanimous decision win, almost near shutout. Uh, you know, he's there as the... Um, what is this, the NABO welterweight uh, title uh, that was uh, there for uh, on the line of there and Alexis Rocha uh, won. Uh, so he has that record of 21 wins and one loss. And, you know, for me with Alexis Rocha is, is that he's there at the welterweight division. And there is also another guy that is there under Golden Boy Promotions that uh, is a highly ranked contender in the welterweight division by the name of Virgil Ortiz Jr. Um, and given what has kind of like been happening at the top of the welterweight division and that a certain fight, of course, is not going to happen, well, then um, if you're not going to have one of those world title holders defend against a top-ranked contender uh, there in his rankings, and he really doesn't have to face the number one or number two guy because he already had his mandatory uh, defense last year, and it, it's not due for another six months. So in the meantime, why not go ahead and have Virgil Ortiz fight, you know, this guy here um, with the Alexis Rocha? You know, I, I, to me, I thought that particular fight would have would have happened. Um, you know, of course, you know, Virgil Ortiz had the whole thing with um, David Evasion uh, earlier this year. That fight was ordered, didn't necessarily happen. Uh, and then, you know, he, uh, Virgil Ortiz, ended up fighting someone else and, you know, won that bout. And so he's a mandatory or not a mandatory or whatever it is, you know, after his win over Michael McKenson. Uh, so if you're going to have that mess at the top of the division uh, there for those world titles, why not have Virgil Ortiz Jr. there against Alexis Rocha? I think that particular bout would be a very good bout as long as it lasts. I, both of those guys are, you know, not, you know, not afraid to get in there and get dirty and get on the inside and work, work the body of their opponents. And I think it would be a good little scrap between Virgil Ortiz Jr. there and Alexis Rocha. But, you know, it just depends on if, you know, uh, Oscar De La Hoya, Golden Boy Promotions, uh, and the matchmakers there would kind of like see if they could put that fight together. You know? 
No, nah, I agree. I ain't really got nothing on um on Roach's fight. Uh, yeah, I didn't see it, so I don't have anything on. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw it there against Campos. Uh, it was like I said, it was a near near shutout victory uh, there, you know, for him. Uh, it, and it wasn't, you know, like I said, it wasn't like all too eventful there in, in that sense. Uh, that you know, I think it was uh, something where Rocha was, uh, you know, levels better than his opponent. It was just that it did go the uh, distance. Uh, there in that in that instance there, so you did have that. Um, you know, real quick before I you know look ahead to uh, what is going coming up next week, uh, just wanted to mention uh, the thing with uh, the undisputed uh, lightweight champion and uh, women's bison there, Katie Taylor, uh, getting the unanimous decision win over Karen Carvajal uh, with uh, scores of 100 to 91, 99 to 91, and 98 to 92. Um, she is there at 22 and 0. Um, really don't know what is going to be next for Katie Taylor. I mean, you know, we thought that there was going to be an immediate rematch with uh, her and Amanda Serrano, given the amount of success that that particular fight had at Madison Square Garden, that it was a pretty much a fight of the year contender uh, that they had at Madison Square Garden. So they thought it would have been an immediate rematch, but that didn't. Uh, necessarily take place. So uh, going into next year, we have to see if that is going to be uh, there in the works uh, for Katie Taylor or if there could be someone else or another opponent that probably could move up to the lightweight division and challenge Katie Taylor um, in the in the name of the unified champion at Super Bantamweight there in Alicia Baumgartner. But uh, like I said, it remains to be seen how that's going to uh, sort itself out. But you're know, looking ahead to next week. Uh, you do have in the light heavyweight division, you have Dimitri Baval versus Roberto Zerto Ramirez for that WBA light heavyweight championship. Two guys undefeated there in the light heavyweight division. Of course, Zerto Ramirez, a former world champion at super middleweight, uh, moving up to light heavyweight you know some people thought that he could have you know been in a position to fight for a light heavyweight title once he moved up the light heavyweight but he had a little bit of a snafu of sorts when it came to uh promotional uh contracts or promotional agreements so he didn't initially get that world title shot he had to work his way to get himself in position for a world title shot uh, and it will be against Dimitri Raval, of course, undefeated, did score his win over uh, Canelo Alvarez uh, earlier this year, in May of this year in Las Vegas. But this particular fight uh, will be over in Saudi Arabia on next Saturday. And, you know, I think this is going to be a really good bout uh, between these two guys, uh, Dimitri Raval. Um, you know, kind of like is, you know, still there as uh, someone that, you know, is, you know, very skilled, very skilled, um, kind of like show that in the sense they're against Canelo Alvarez earlier this year. Um, but, you know, there have been times where he kind of like isn't like that, oh, my goodness type of guy, you know, like Arthur Betaviev is to a number of people, including myself, who at one point had Arthur Betaviev 
in the boxing source, pound for pound top 10, but he's not on there now. Um, but with Demetri Baval, right, um, you got this uh, bout here against Jordan Ramirez. Um, and we've kind of like talked about uh, people that have been sparring partners or have sparred before. Uh, Demetri Baval and Jordan Ramirez have uh, sparred at one point where, you know, uh, there were reports that Zerto did kind of like get the better of Dimitri Baval in those uh, in those encounters. But, you know, sparring and actually having a fight are two different things, um, as seen with, you know, like I said, Vasil Lomachenko and Jermaine Ortiz, where, yeah, Vasil Lomachenko is this guy, he's that guy, he, you know, performs great, but Jermaine Ortiz had that, you know, great start against him. It was just that, you know, he couldn't really finish the job. But here with uh, Dimitri Raval, like I said, putting his undefeated record on the line, putting his light heavyweight title on the line against former super middleweight champion, Jordo Ramirez. Uh, I think that will be a very, very good bout between those two combatants. Uh, the You know, for me, it, it's more about, okay, Dimitri Raval is coming off his high of defeating who many considered as a pound-for-pound king, Santo Saul of Arrest Barragan, right? So now you want to be able to continue that particular momentum against Zerdo Ramirez. Now, you know, with Zerdo, uh, he, he is a guy that, you know, is uh, someone that is a come-forward fighter, like I said, 44 wins, 30 of those wins by way of knockout. Uh, Southpaw, you know, with a 75-inch reach, he's going to be there as the taller fighter, the guy with the long reach, has a lot of, you know, offensive output against his opponents, eventually wears down his opponents there. So, you know, when it comes to Demetri Baval, it's not going to be, uh, he's not, it's almost going to be contrasting styles in a sense, going from Canelo Alvarez to Zerto Ramirez. Canelo Alvarez is someone who is more of like a, uh, he could come forward, but he's very economical, very efficient in what he does. So he could, you know, he could get off his offense, but he's trying to make every one of his punches count, whether he's coming forward or whether he's on his back foot, whether he's trying to catch with the counter. He's trying to be very efficient with everything that he does. With Zoto Ramirez, you probably won't get that much in terms of efficiency, but you'll get a lot more when it comes to output and punch output. And that he eventually tries to wear down his opponents uh, to eventually tire them out and then eventually, you know, get a either, you know, like a TKO or stop his victory, you know, against his opponents. Now, will he be able to wear out someone like a Dimitri Raval? Probably not. Uh, but the thing about it is with Dimitri Raval, if his skill level is good enough to kind of like nullify a lot of that stuff that Zerto Ramirez does in the ring, then that will be huge for him in this fight uh, that's coming up on November 5th. You know, but you know, outside of that, uh, I feel like with Zerto Ramirez, if he just shows that he could, you know, eventually get at uh, Dimitri Raval over the course of the early rounds. 
uh, kind of like get a number of those early rounds and then see what Dimitri Raval does for his adjustments. And then kind of like says, okay, I kind of seen this before. I could adjust to that. Then maybe you'll have something there against Dimitri Raval. And I think that will be really key here in this uh, light heavyweight tilt uh, that's coming up on November 5th. But after that, we got to see what happens with the winner, right? Now, Dimitri Raval, if he's there, he gets the win. It's likely that he could be facing Canelo Alvarez once again next year in May. You know, of course, Canelo Alvarez had his decision win over Gennady Golovkin in September. And we all know he does that May-September thing. All right, cool. But if Zerto Ramirez wins, you may end up having a rematch between Bavol and Ramirez. And if that happens, hey, what happens with Canelo Alvarez? Who is he going to end up facing? Who knows? For some fans, maybe that means that they could be rooting for Zerto Ramirez to get the win in this particular fight so that Canelo Alvarez can end up fighting someone else outside of the Beach of Bavol next year. But, I mean, we, we'll eventually see how that uh, turns out uh, come next Saturday. Right? Cool. Now, uh, when it comes to, you know, other news and notes, that you know, there's one thing that uh, is kind of like around uh, the social media airwaves, um, and that deals with the unified welterweight champion, Errol Spence Jr., Yep, we have talked over the past couple of weeks in reference to the news of there not being a undisputed welterweight title fight happening. Um, yeah, Terrence Crawford looks like he's facing David Avengian. I think something like that. I'm not sure. Um, you know, supposed to be CHI Health Center, uh, Omaha, Nebraska, uh, December 10th. Uh, just to be straight up, as of right now, I haven't checked, you know, the Nebraska State Athletic Commission to see if that has been entered in for their schedule of events. I haven't checked the schedule for the CHR Health Center in Omaha, Nebraska, to see if that is part of their schedule of events. And here we are. This is October 30th, December 10th, not that far away, but We'll see. But in reference to Errol Spence Jr., uh, he did state that a fight date's coming soon or an announcement's coming soon. Uh, let me see if I can pull up the profile of Mr. Errol Spence Jr., right? And, you know, like he said uh, there that uh uh like he said uh that uh announcement is soon uh when it comes to him uh fighting right and also after that um you know he kind of made a couple of other posts uh but one of them uh is uh Something that came from uh, a guy that really is involved in uh, boxing Twitter. Uh, it's someone by the name of 
of Ray Jackson, who you know kind of like stirs the pot a little bit, or uh, uh, when it comes to Bison Twitter, uh, and you know Ray had uh, made a post uh, earlier, and you know after the initial post by Errol Spence, Ray Jackson, you know replied. And he said that it could have been Terrence Crawford, uh, but, you know, Terrence Crawford didn't necessarily do that. Uh, well, Errol Spence had made a reply to Ray Jackson, and he said, well, you know, uh, it's cool. I'm going to spin the block. Ooh. So, I guess that means... Earl Spence versus Terrence Crawford is not necessarily completely out, but it's just not next. So that means Earl Spence Jr. Uh, will have a fight date, will have an opponent uh, that's soon coming. Now, on the YouTube page for the Boxing Source, we did have a discussion in reference to that, like what could be his potential opponents. And we you know, brought up Jerome Bucinus, we brought up Keith Thurman, we brought up Iamon Astanionis. Now, the thing about it is, is that either uh, you go by what's in order for, you know, the mandatories, or you go by what's the most lucrative fight out there. Now, in the order of mandatories, Iamon Astanionis is next. The most lucrative fight easily is Keith Thurman. Now, of course, we've had you know all this back and forth between Keith Thurman and Errol Spence over the years. And when Keith Thurman was the world champion, but Keith Thurman was a unified world champion, that Errol Spence was out there knocking on the door, and Keith Thurman was like, nope. Now it seems like the tables have turned. It's like, or like Errol Spence has said, and after one of his fights, my, 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 how the tables have turned. Now it's Errol Spence that's the top guy in the ball suite division. Um, and Keith Thurman is out there, doesn't have a belt, you know, uh, but is there as a top ready contender in the WBC rankings. And like I said, he is the most you know, the most lucrative fighter that's out there that's available. So, hmm, could it be that Errol Spence could make an exception in this particular case because it is the most lucrative fight out there? Maybe. But, like I said, if that is the case, you might have the instance of Iamana Sanionis pushing for that WBA title to be stripped from Errol Spence Jr., now, that's the case. Hey, it is what it is. Errol Spence, his main goal was to become the undisputed Volkswagen champion of the world. And because of the actions of Terrence Crawford at this particular time, we ain't having an undisputed championship fight. But will we have the fight later on down the line? Maybe. Will it be a 147 pounds? I don't know. I don't know about it. We'll eventually find out. You know, Earl Spence has said 
that this particular year, the end of this year, is the end of him trying to get down to 147 pounds. And usually, he's a man of his word when it comes to what he's going to do, what he eventually wants to do, and things like that. So if you have somebody that has at one point come up from 180 pounds plus down to 147 in order to fight Sean Porter, or 160 plus to fight these other guys like your Dennis Hugas or something like that. He's not going to be trying to push himself to get down to 147 that much longer. And this is his not like, of course, he's getting any younger. So I will eventually see what happens when it comes to Errol Spence Jr. And we'll see what the announcement is going to be. Who will the unified welterweight champion face? later on down the line. But, well, at least we know it's not Terrence Crawford, but it's going to be somebody that's at a high level because Earl Spence does not take tune-up fights. So that's what I got on that. And with that being said, that kind of like brings it into this particular episode of the Boxing Source Radio Show. We'll get back at it uh, in the next week or so. Uh, see what happens with that uh, Vival Ramirez fight. And like I said at the end of every show, folks, if one of boxing is a hit and I can hit, not a saying and trade on that note, folks. I'm out. Have a good evening, everybody.